Hi, everybody. Welcome to our Parsha Shir on Parsha's Lech Lecha. All righty, 5782. You know our agenda this year is to go into the Navuas that are recorded and what what they're all about because they are the aha moments, so to speak. They are the they are the um, the the blinding, clear understanding of what will unfold and who we are and the whole big picture of Amishol. Okay, give me one second. I just want to close the door here. All right, we are back. All right, today's shear is dedicated. By Sheila Shulman, Lilo Nishmas, her father, Shabsai Pesachia ben Yitzchak. Barda Birnbaum, Hodul Hashem Kitov, her husband celebrated one year of recovery from a life threatening illness and is in good health, Bar Hashem. Elana Kasavsky, in the schus of the memory of her beloved father, Harav Shmuel ben Eliyahu, and Menchai Lahavdu ben Chaim Lachaim, in the schus of her Havrusa, Sima Peril Bas Dina Tivia, that her tefilos should be Menchaim Latova. Jenny Felder, Eloi Nishmas, her mother, Fega Bas Yehuda. Susan Gross, for a four shlema for a 13 year old diagnosed with leukemia, Chava Naomi Bas Doba Chana. Chaya Parkov, a four shlema for her mother, Bracha Bas Hinda Shandel. Yes, we are we're hoping that our learning and our, and of course the, 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 the implementation, our maizim that come from our learning should all be as a chus for all of these people. Alrighty. So Lech Lecha has so much going on in it. It is the story of Avraham's really uh, beginning his career, so to speak, as the greatest influencer that ever walked the face of this earth, right? And there's so many nevuas in this parsha, and we only have an hour. All righty. So we're going to have to pick and choose and just focus on certain details in the nevuas. But just to get to the chronology of what's going on here, I want to point out that in, in Noah, when the, and it's not in the notes, for those of you watching this online, um, on tour anytime or on the OU, you can get all the notes, all the res all the sources every single week, either by email or WhatsApp. Please reach out to me. Send me an email, estween at gmail. The first three letters of my name, Esther, estween at gmail. Alrighty. So in the end of Noah, there's that very um, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, uh, not so appealing story in certain ways of Noah getting drunk after the mobble and his son Ham going ahead and taking advantage of that and doing a violent crime against him, devaluing him, debasing him. And then Noah makes three comments about each of his children, Shem, Ham, and Yafes. And he essentially divides them up into three. She, he identifies three primary uh, drives that each one is associated with. Now, interestingly enough, and this is a sheer in and of itself, he always speaks about the son of Ham. The son of Ham. He constantly refers to Canaan, the son of Ham. Ham, the father of Canaan. And he makes a statement that Canaan, who's from Ham, which is the people, the land that Avram comes to, 
they are driven by their urgent passions to which as we always talk about devalue everything and anything certainly a ideology of self-restraint a sense of purpose it's all about getting my needs met and uh, be and essentially um, devaluing those that say that that's not the goal and um, and the son of Ham is Canaan and he says you need to be a servant and what that means is you need to be influenced by Yefes and you need to be influenced by the people that Yefes are influenced in which is shame yes Yefes of course is much more sophisticated but they're not perfect they're about the beauty and the and the uh, intelligence in the world and uh, harnessing all of that and making life as convenient and comfortable as possible, like the world we live in today, totally influenced by this. And that is legitimate if it's in the service of something greater, which is shame, shame Hashem. So there's a hierarchy. This doesn't just exist in nations. This exists in individuals. And different nations fall into different categories. Many nations have been Ham or Canaan-like, where they, they, were, they led themselves down a path of what ultimately was the culture of Canaan. It's not only, it did not only exist in that one, in the area of Israel prior to the Jews. It existed in many, many countries all over the world through all of history. It was a culture of brutal self-interest to the survival of the fittest, period. Now be aware that when Hashem sends Avram on his mission, he's sending him to Canaan. The mission of the Jewish people is to suppress this sort of ideology, to influence the world to a much higher way of being. The two extremes are the shame, the concept of the name of Hashem, and the idea of Canaan. The very word Canaan comes from the root lahachnia, to humble oneself, to submit, to be machnia. On the one hand, the role of the people of shame, and the first thing Avram does in the, in the parsha is vayikra b'shem Hashem, right? Perak 12, Pasuk 8, v'kore b'shem Hashem, he's calling on Hashem's name. He is trying to be machnia, to suppress this horrible, um, uh, really vicious sort of, a, you know, kind of like um, a lifestyle that has already allowed for, it's given that this, they've given themselves permission to do whatever they think they need to do to keep themselves safe and to get their needs met, which is full-blown, ultimately, idol worship. And um, I know when I was in Mexico, I went to Chinchanita, where till a thousand years ago, same story, ancient paganistic rites. And the tour guide was talking to us about their human sacrifice. And he was speaking about how the most noble and the most, uh, you know, um, respected members of the society would um, volunteer themselves to be commit killed for the gods. I said, wait a second. Um, I thought there was a lot of child sacrifice. So he said, yeah. I said, do you think that the children volunteered for this? I highly doubt that. So um, basically they used whatever means they could to get their needs met, what they thought were their needs. So they thought this was the method. So this is what Avram is coming to Canaan. And when he gets to Canaan and he starts calling B'Shem Hashem, that's chapter 12 um, and 13. And we, we learn about the parting of Lot, which we're not gonna talk about today, but then chapter 14 is the war of the kings. All right, again, it's not our main subject. I do have an old cheer on it. So basically in the War of the Kings, these are the people of Canaan, all right? These are them. And there's the five against the four and Avram is called in to save Lot. The, the, the point here is that Avram was a great influencer but not everybody who's willing to be influenced. These are the people of Canaan 
and they're fighting each other. And uh, there's so many layers to this, so, so, so much. I'll just give you a little hint so you know kind of what's beneath the surface. For 12 years, they submit. And the 13th year, they rebel. What does that sound like? Right? They're being, in other words, certain, certain uh, self-interest needs are suppressed in our younger years, childhood, but in 13, bar mitzvah, right? That's when you decide what your self-interest is. Are you going to let other things rule you? What sort of other things will you choose to influence you, right? There's a lot going on here. Avram has to fight. Not everybody is being influenced by Avraham here, okay? Not fully. So what happens after the war, okay, is that Avraham gets a Nevoa, and that's the one we're going to focus on first. And we have to understand the mentality here is Avraham is chesed. Avraham is the idea that he cares about everybody. We've spoken about this. Everybody identifies with everybody, sees the best in everyone, and has a tremendous vision of what a person can be, what constitutes a tourist Adam. And he wants to raise people up so that they can live a better life. All right. He wants to have, so to speak, offspring, right? He wants to have long-term influence that will change society and change cultures. And the truth is it did. It did, but thousands of years. It absolutely did. It still is. And so the first thing that happens after Abram fights this war and he sees that there's lots of parts of the country, next week is Sodom, that they really don't appreciate his ideas. Some do. Those that recognize who he is, they, at the end of the war, they say, Nasi Malkit Tzedek, right? Nasi Elohim, you are a prince of God. We appreciate your ideology. We see the world a little bit your way. But the main point here is, and this is our first focus, Avraham wants to, wants his ideology, okay? He wants his ideology to carry on. And of course, what that means is he, um, where does this go away? He wants his ideology to carry on. He wants, of course, physical children. He would hope to have physical children. And he hopes to have, um, he hopes to have, uh, you know, ideological children. We're, we're missing an entire, uh-oh. Oh gosh, hold on. No, this set of notes does not have, this set of notes is missing a, a whole page, page A. Okay, go back to the original notes I sent you guys, the first version I sent you. The reason we sent the second is because we added more to the dedications. But let me go back and find the first version because the entire section A was, was lost uh, out of this. Okay, so let me just go back. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, I don't even know if it still exists. I think it was deleted. Ay, 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 ay. Let me see. Hold it, guys. Is it there or was it deleted also on version A? Hold on one second. Was it deleted, guys? What do you say? Hold on, let me see. Let me see. Oh, no, A is there. Okay, so let's stick with the first version. Thank God it was not deleted. All right. Um, one second. Oh, gosh. No, it was. Okay, so one second. So what we're going to do now is I got to get a chumash. I'm really sorry. Give me a second so I can get a chumash. Okay. Um, 
here I have a homage right here. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay, let's go. It's the beginning of chapter. Hold on one second, actually. Okay. Beginning of chapter 15. Open up your homish. All right, but like in the bad old days when we actually had real books, real sparum to learn from. All right. So in Parak 15, Hashem says, So first of all, we're getting into Nevoa. Everything we're going to hear about now is happening in Avraham um, in a state of, um, in a state of, you know, having a vision. This is not happening in the physical world, okay? According to the Ramban. According to Ramban, whatever Hashem is gonna show him in the vision, or if something appears to him and it says that he saw something, it means some sort of very, very, that, that, that he saw something in the physical world that he, he was able to perceive, but and nobody else would have been able to perceive it, according to the Ramban. Okay, so Hashem says, Anochi harbe ma'od. I am your shield. Your reward is very, very great because Avraham is now concerned, all right, that um, he, his influence that might not have a future. He doesn't have an offspring, so to speak. He doesn't have a guaranteed, somebody will follow in a guaranteed anyone who will absolutely not only follow in his ways, but have the ability to influence others the same way he did. There are many people will follow, but will they be able to carry on the legacy of influencing? So Hashem says to him, Al-Tira, do not be afraid of Ram. I am your shield. I just want to throw something out there. I didn't put it in the notes, but we will talk about it in the as we go through the others. But I'm just starting to put it out there. You know, you might have heard that Chazal say regarding Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Chazal say, Hain, Hain, Hamerkava. They are the chariot. What that means is what Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Um, illuminated to the world. But Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the ideas that they taught the world, those three ideas, Chesed, Gevura, and what we're going to call Teferis or Emes, those three ideas, they are the chariot. They carry the understanding, the connection of God through history and in each person. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, these three ideas, okay, they are the chariot. This is why we start from an essay with remembering them. They are the chariot, meaning these three ideas are the ideas you must have an understanding of in order for God, so to speak, to move through your life. They carry, they support. They are the ones that draw HaKadosh Baruch Hu into the world and through history and in our lives, okay? So Hashem said, and that word mugging, I will protect you, always refers to that legacy. The shield of Avram means that legacy that Avram started will be protected. And this, of course, finds its way into the Shon Esrei. And if you're in the Tefillah chat, you will hear about this down the road. Okay. So in the Tefillah shir, so it says, the Yom Avram, Hashem Avram says, Adoni, my, my master. And he's the first person to refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as my master. All right. He's the first person to say Adoni. And... Um, and this has a lot of implications. You'll also hear about it in Tefillah, not now. And uh, he's in Adon Alam. He calls Hashem Adoni and he says, Ma titinli, 
what can you give me? I'm childless. And Damesic Eliezer, Eliezer, who, by the way, is from Canaan, is the one who's most closest to me. He's totally submitted himself to me. He totally has followed, has been under my influence, but he's the only one. He's the one most influenced by me, but he's not, is, is, he's not capable of being the influencer. He's the one that knows he must be influenced. Okay, that part of us, which is prone to our gut reactions, getting our needs met, that must be influenced. It's not really set up to be the influencer. It must be sub, subdued by, by intellect, okay? But Yomer Avram, Hain Lilona Satazera, you didn't give me any, any seed, and only Eliezer is set up to inherit everything that I have done in this world. So now, this is obviously another level of the prophecy because it, it's implying that there's now a separate kind of like statement from Hashem. He says, no, lo this one will not. But someone who will actually come from you physically is going to inherit you, meaning inherit here means carry on the entire legacy, be the next influencer, be the second, so to speak, wheel on the, that's supporting the chariot. Um, a necessary additional idea has to be introduced into the world, which is called going to be Yitzchak, and it will come from Avram, meaning right from Chesed, Chesed, so to speak, gives birth to the next necessary idea, which is Yitzchak, you know this, Chesed is all inclusivity, and Yitzchak is about that boundary, that separate autonomy, Hashem set up the world, that we are meant to be individuals, because then we have free choice to do something of our own in this world, but always to channel Hashem. But here's the passage we're going to look at here. Hashem then says to him, according to the Rambam, he didn't go anywhere. This is all happening in a vision. Okay. Takes him outside and he says, look to the heavens and count Try to count the stars. If you can, let's borrow some to count them. And he said to Abraham, your children are going to be like the stars. This is what we're going to analyze right now. Okay. Question. All right. What does this mean? Does it mean that look up the heavens, your descendants will be like the stars? Does it mean as many as the stars? But he says you can't count them. So is he saying um, you can't count them? Why can't you count them? This is the question. If you could, is it just because you can't see them? If you could see them, then you could count them. I mean, it'll be a trillion, you know, a huge, enormous number. But if you could see them, of course you could count them. Of course. So he says, look at the stars. If Why are you not able to count them? If you would be able to count them, all right, but you can't. He's saying, look at the stars, right? Could you think you could possibly count them? No. This is how your children will be. So he's not saying your children will be so, 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 so many that you can't count because that's not true. You can count so, so, so many. It just takes time. But there's a different quality to the stars that makes them uncountable. And the answer is why you can't count the stars because your eye cannot detect all of them due to the enormous distance that they are away from you and the fact that they spread out across the entire, not just the Milky Way galaxy, but there's a hundred million galaxies, each one with a hundred million stars in there all spreading out through the universe. I mean, you can't see them because the distance is like beyond us. They're so far away, all right? So the first thing we're hearing is that what Avram is discovering in this Nivua is that the, your children have, are compared to the stars. Again, the stars are a mushal. Remember what we learned. 
the Navi gets a idea, okay? A theoretical abstract idea, which we're about to learn about. What is this abstract idea? And then the Koach Adimyon, the imagination of the Navi, takes that abstract idea and it finds a mushal. Okay, Hashem gives him a mushal, and then because of the mushal, you get he understands the nimshal. Okay, so what is the mushal of the stars, and what is that? What is Avram really understanding here? He's certainly not understanding that they're going to be a lot. The next point is, is Hashem, if, if, if we would think that Hashem is telling him all the Jews that ever lived are living in Willith, well, there was never one really before him, but all the Jews who will ever live after you together, they will be so much that you can't count them. So it's really, is this referring to the collective totality of all the Jews who are eventually going to live that together as a whole, they will be called too much more than the stars. That's a hard, that's, you can't really say that because look what happens in Devarim right before Moshe dies when there's only 600,000 Jews in the world, he himself refers to them as today, look at the Pasuk Yud, right? Look at Pasuk Yud, Hashem Elokeichem, Hirbeschem, Hashem has made you many. We know that means 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60. And then there's kids and there's women, about 3 million people. He says, and today, today you are like the stars in heaven. You are so vast. What does it mean? That's not all the Jews who ever lived. How could you compare one generation and say you are like all the stars in heaven, uncountable? So wait, we're not talking about the totality of all the Jews who will ever live because Moses is referring to this one generation as the stars, which are too many to count. So what is going on here? Look at my grandfather, Rav Shimon Schwab. In the Mayan Beis Shueva, such a beautiful Sefer. And the, my uncle Meyer did an English semi-version. He took about 50% of the Sefer, did it in English and made some anecdotes and things like that. Very beautiful Sefer also. But the original is the Mayan Beis Shueva. So my grandfather says the following. We are forbidden to count Amisrol because there's more to Amisrol than we can see right now. Physically more, of course, people than, uh, that are existing in this generation, people came before us, people came after us, but spiritually more. Because it says, <laughs> eternal life planted into all of us, right? Which is right here, our identity, our umbilical cord, so to speak, attached to that reservoir of, from which the flow um, originates, which is the, so to speak, placenta, right? We, every single person who becomes part of Amisrael or, or is, is included in Amisrael, okay, has an attachment a, to that source, okay, of eternal life. The attachment to the source of life is embedded within, but it's not visible. Let's take this further. Think about the umbilical cord and the placenta. The placenta is, the muscle of the placenta is a reservoir from which everything flows into the umbilical cord. Now we're gonna extend that muscle. Think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source of everything, a trillion fetuses in the womb, each one with their own umbilical cord, all right? All umbilical cords are originating in one placenta, so to speak, one reservoir of Shefa, of Hashpa'a, of divine thought, of divine ideas that every single person can and has the ability to draw down into themselves. Each one draws a different 
amount and a different different quality and a different type. But that placenta, so to speak, that reservoir of all Shefa that each and every person is connected to and can draw into themselves, that Amishol promised forever to stay attached to and keep that flow open. That collective, we talked about this by my own, that collective source of Shefa has a name. It's called Knesses Yisrael. Whenever you see that name used in philosophy or Kabbalah, that's what it's talking about. The reservoir of all Shefa. So Hashem is saying to Avram now, Avram's understanding, your descendants, all of them capable of bringing down the Shefa from the reservoir of all Shefa is like the stars. There is so much that is at this point, or that at any point, you cannot possibly know or quantify because each and every person has the ability to draw on that shefa, to illuminate their particular piece of Judaism, of Torah, to have a chiddush in something, to emphasize something. So stars, which are way beyond your perception, you could never see them. Every member of Amishol, anyone who joins Amishol, who draws on that shefa is going to come up with ideas that originate in you, Avram. He's saying, right, remember Avram said, I don't have, will I have influence? Will I have influence? And Hashem is saying, will you have influence? What you created is a, you created the beginning of influence. You created this Knesset Yisrael. You created this potential for this reservoir of ideas. And through the generations, in different times and places, based on a trillion different circumstances, everybody who is connected to Avram will draw from that Shefa. But you can't even see it now because the variables are infinite. Every single human being in their particular space, in their particular life circumstances, on a particular day, at a particular moment, based on all the variables that are in play, is going to draw down Shefa guidance according to their needs at that moment. How could you possibly see or quantify the amount of different flow, of different you know, amount and, and, and variation of it? It's like the stars. You can't possibly quantify them, not because there's... If you would see them all, you could count them all. You can't even see them all. They're so remote and distant and they only can be seen from certain angles and certain times and certain places. There's no way. That's the marshal to the stars. Does this make sense? Okay. So now the the Pusik says something unbelievable that we have to understand. And it says, Vehemin Bahashem. He had a moon in Hashem, and it was considered a tzedakah. Let's understand this amazing statement here. Obviously, it's not simplistic. Oh, he trusted Hashem, so that was like he did a he did a chesed. All right, to Hashem. Obviously, we have to go deeper. You know what a moon means. We learned this in the Ikram. He and I change, and this is my English translation. Because he committed, a means neman steadfast, right? Because he committed to stay steadfast to the promise of Hashem, it was reckoned to him as a tzedakah, which means righteousness. He did something righteous. Let's learn, according to the Rambam, what tzedek is. Tzedek, 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 what is called righteous? Rambam says, the term tzedakah is derived from tzedek, righteousness. It denotes the act of giving everyone his due of showing kindness to every being according as it deserves. 
In scripture, however, the expression tzedakah is not used in the first sense and does not apply to the payment of what we owe to others. In other, in other words, he's saying um, giving the due, you know, being, you know, being, uh, being correct, do, you know, paying what you owe. It's not referring to that. In scriptures, it doesn't mean that. When we therefore, he says like this, does not apply to the payment of what we owe to others. When we therefore give the hired laborers wages or pay a debt, we do not perform an act of tzedakah, but we do perform an act of, in other words, it's called tzedek, but that's not the definition of tzedakah. It's tzedek, it's correct, it's precise, it's your obligation, you're fulfilling it, that's called tzedek, but it's not tzedakah. But we do perform an act of tzedakah when we fulfill those duties towards a fellow man, which our moral conscience opposes on us. In other words, when we heal the wound of the sufferer. In other words, when you don't owe it. When you look around the world and you say, I don't owe you anything. I could drive a $2 million car and you could walk three miles to work. And you know what? My money was made honestly. I'm allowed to spend it the way I want it. I don't owe you that I have to buy you a car. You can't force me to do it. But that's tzedek. Tzedek is... I can justify my existence. I'm doing what's correct. Like Noah, tzaddik. Tzedakah is when you look around and you say, I can justify myself, but how can I justify what's going on around me to myself when I can help? How can I justify not helping? That's tzedakah. Tzedakah is, as Rambam says, we perform an act of tzedakah when we fill those duties towards our fellow men, which are moral conscience oppose, imposes on us. When we come from the Avraham point of view that I care about everyone and we see people suffering and I have the means to help them, how can I just kind of like ignore them and justify that I'm not obligated to help them, which could be true, All right? That's Sadaka. Now look what he says. It's not, we're not talking just about um, um, do our duties towards our fellow man, which our moral conscience imposes on us, go deeper when we heal the wound of the sufferer, right? Now, the scripture says, in reference to returning of the pledge to the poor, and it shall be a tzedakah unto thee. This is a going out of your way to make it easier for the poor, to um, give them more opportunities, returning the pledge, even though technically you could hold on to it. Now look what he says. When we walk in the way of virtue, we act righteously towards our intellectual faculty. You hear that? Tzedakah means we act with a moral conscience towards our intellect. Our intellect needs MS. Our intellect needs context. We need to know how to live. Our intellect needs to be allowed to learn and be infused with MS. And when we act, when we have a conscience, when we care about the quality of our intellect, the needs of our intellect, and we go out of our way to teach ourselves truths so that our intellect can work with truths, okay? We're doing a tzedakah. We're doing an act of righteousness. We don't technically have to. Avram didn't have to, right? But he did this voluntarily. Avram's entire life was voluntary, okay? This, of course, changes by the Aserah Sedibros when Hashem demands that we know certain things, but this hasn't happened yet. Look what he says. Let's read that again. When we walk in the way of virtue, we act righteously towards our intellectual faculty and pay what is due unto it. We give the intellect what it, what it, what it, what it requires, what it needs, because every virtue is thus tzedakah, 
and because every virtue is thus tzedakah, scripture applies the term to the virtue of faith in God or steadfastness in God, and he believed in Hashem, and it was called a tzedakah. When a person does something virtuous, in this case, committing to the promise, to the nevuah, staying steadfast, really trusting that through all of history, all through Amishol, in a trillion different circumstances, every Jew will have the opportunity and anyone who attaches to Amishol more than anyone else, because we, we commit to this, we're actively engaged in this, will have the opportunity to draw down from that Knesset Yisrael, that great Shefa, and Avraham becomes committed to this idea, which is an act of tzedakah to his intellect. Why? Why is he doing something virtuous for his intellect? Why is he doing something because he cares about his intellect? Because here's how it goes. When you know for sure that every single human being has the capacity in whatever state and place and time they are to stop themselves in their tracks and say, stop, let me draw on Chachma to guide me. I don't want to draw on my own subjective interpretation. Let me draw on Chachma. And then every single person can do that. You can re, you know, kind of like acquire your world in a second. Then you can save yourself. You can be influenced by what Avraham started anywhere, anytime. It's incomprehensible. It's like the stars, which are not too many. They're just, they're so, they're, they're so, they're not detectable yet. There's like a universe of them that are not all detectable yet, you know, to, to us. And they won't all come together till the end. And, uh, and so Avram now has the ability, and that's our quality of Avram in us. Don't lose faith. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best about every single person. Assume the best about every single person. Everybody can shine like a star at some point, in some place, at some time. Everybody, every person has their moment. Take it easy. Never, like my friend Jordana, who spent yesterday with me, she said, don't be a judge. Don't be a judge. Be curious. Why, why do people do things? Don't judge. Be curious. Be curious. I don't know if you know the whole map of their mind, everything that goes into making them who they are at this moment, you'll probably figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Okay. So, um, oh, wait, I have it here. Um, Oh, okay, okay. All right, yeah. So um, so this is the meat of Avraham, okay? So the first thing that we are dealing with in the Chumash is that um, Avraham gets, has the steadfast commitment that's in us that every single person will shine at some point, somewhere, in some way, and he commits to it. And this is a chesed to your intellect to adopt the attitude of um, of trust in, every, in, in, in other people, in belief in the goodness of other people, in patience and seeing their life unfold and, their, and how they evolve in assuming that everybody will save themselves as salvageable. This is a gift to your intellect because it takes a person from being judgmental, disappointed, harsh, to being patient, accepting, creative, because you come up with all sorts of reasons why that person probably did what they did. Loving, it's a gift to our mind to think like this. Does this make sense, everyone? Okay, now the next thing that happens, and I just wanna tell you that this, there, this, according to many, this happened earlier, five years earlier, and the Torah puts it in here because it's in concept linked to what we just learned, okay? 
but this actually happens a little bit earlier. And that is that now Hashem is talking to him not about his influence in the world, but the ultimate goal of attaining the promised land of inheriting Canaan, inheriting what would become Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Ultimately vanquishing the lowest form of operation called the Canaan. Okay. And, um, and inheriting the land, elevating the land, so to speak. So Hashem has promised Avram that he will inherit the land of Canaan, that he will succeed, right? Again, influence children and this land, this type of lifestyle, this whole sort of survival of the fittest ideology will be vanquished and inherited by Avraham, by the higher moral calling of man. So he, this is what Hashem tells him when he first comes in earlier, believe it or not, five years earlier. It's a whole history there. But anyway, that's why it says it there. I took you out of our costume to give you this land to inherit. All right. But Yomer, and Hashem says, Ado, again, this is, we're going to learn about this in Adon Olam. But Ma'eda, suddenly he has questions. Again, it's earlier. How will I know that I will inherit it? Now it's a very different thing. How do I know? How will I have the absolute guarantee that my children will not lose the influence, right? And that they will ultimately be able to take the Cham Kanan ideology and totally uplift it until it becomes Eretz Yisrael. How do I know? But Yomari loves. Now Hashem says to him, again, this is all in a vision. This all is in a vision, okay, according to the Rambam. Take now, let's, we're going to, we're going into this carefully and we're going to go a little overtime because we had a few delays here, but let's go into this Brisbane Absarum very carefully. So he says, take an Egla Mishuleshes. Everything is three here. A three-year-old um, Egil, little cow. Take A's Mishuleshes, a three-year-old she-goat. Take a Ayel Mishuleshes, a three-year-old male ram a turtle dove and a bird, all right? And he took all of these and he cut them into two pace, pieces facing each other. And he, the, the bird he did not, okay, very important. And the bird he did not cut in half. What that means is we're gonna see in the redact, well, first we're gonna see the general idea and then we're gonna focus on the bird. We're focusing on the bird, all right? What this means, what Avraham, the marshal, is these three types of animals being cut in half. You'll see the fire passes between them and a bird that he doesn't cut in half. What is this talking about? Okay, what's the mushal? This is the mushal, what's the nimshal? All right. So first of all, Radak, who's a Rishon, says the reason why these three, why three, why three of each species were to be offered by Avram at this time was a mushal, that there indeed would be three exiles. Okay, now each of the exiles would be would be is, is is analogized to a different sort of animal okay so there will be three exiles when his descendants would be forcibly uprooted from the land so now remember avram is, has just chronologically been guaranteed his children will have influence but now he's being told it's not that they won't have influence and that's why they're being uprooted from the land no because they're meant to have influence, it's already built into the system that there's going to be exiles. It's, nobody sinned yet. Yitzchak wasn't born. Nobody sinned. Like, there's no reason. There's no punishment here for an exile. Avram gets an early, early prophecy that part of the evolution of Amishol and their influence 
which he commits to trusting in every for all of history. Avram trusts in everybody. That's why there's a famous Gemara, by the way, which I didn't bring, that Avram stands at the entrance to Gehenna and pulls everybody out, okay, by the bris whatever. It's a thing, but Avram believes in everybody. But here's the thing. So what is Gullus? We always think about Gullus as a punishment. It's because we failed. And Avram's getting this Nebuah way before there was anybody to even fail. Yitzchak wasn't even born yet. He says, no, part of the influence is built in the system through which the world will be influenced is you're going to have to go out into the world. And by your living among them, they will then be influenced. That's what the Rambam says. The exiles were in order to bring the concept of one God to all the faraway lands. That's why we had to do it. So again, it's built in to the system. So the three, so number one, there's going to be three exiles, okay? And uh, and they will be forcibly, um, Amisol is going to be forced to go through them, up forcibly uprooted from their land, all, again, in service of the great goal, which is influence, bringing Avram's influence everywhere. The first such exile would be the land of Egypt, which is referred to as an Egel. Now, each of these could be a whole class. We're just going through them quickly. Of course, you know the Egel, okay? is the Egyptian, was one of their gods, was the Taurus, the eagle, the, um, and of course the Jews made the eagle that reminded them of Egypt. But in any case, a lot to talk about, but Egypt is the muscle for the eagle. The first one is Egypt. Now there's a she-goat and there is a ram, all right? These two species are symbol symbolic of the A's vile, sorry. These two species are symbolic of the exile of Babylonia and the exile initiated by the Romans. Now there's another one in there called the Greeks, all right? Even though the Jewish people were badly oppressed by the Greeks, this happened while they were while they were in and remained in their own land, but still included in the parable. But we're gonna focus now on the she-goat and the ram, which is Bavel and Rome. The allusion to the second exile, that is Babylonia in the feminine, okay? Instead of a seir, which would be a male goat, why is it feminine? because the Babylonians never allowed the Jews to return to build the base of Migdash to build their land. So that's why they're female. Start thinking what that means. While the third exile, all right, uh, which is Parasamadai, all right, Parasamadai is represented by the isle, which is the ram in the masculine mode, all right? The Persian Medes being the only ones allowing the exile to return to their homeland. The Persian Medes possess the merit of having an existence of believing in the existence of the Jewish God. I just want you to notice here, there's way more to talk about that he points out, the Radak says that because Bavel didn't let them go back, they're referred to as a female. Because Parasamadai did let them go back because they did believe in Hashem, they're referred to as a male. Remember male is machshava, what you believe in, and female is concretization. So since the Persians believed in Hashem, they are male. Since the Babylonians did not, they are female. Of course, there's much more to talk about, but I just wanted to point that out. All these animals are a reference to the Gullus, but let's focus on the bird. It says that Avram did not divide the bird. Now, how is a bird divided normally? Because we also know that these three types of animals, the egg, the eagle, the seir or the a's and the isle, these are, and, and, the, and all the turtle dove and the bird are all animals that we bring on the Mizbeach in the base of Megdash as kaparas, for kaparas. But the bird is very different than the rest. So here, let's just look at Barashas Rabbah. It was not in English, but let me just go through it pretty quickly. V'yom Hashem, 
He said to Hashem, I'm missing a word here, but how will I know? Rabbi Chiyah Rabbi Chanina Amar, okay, what he's not complaining he's just saying what's the zuchus that i'm going to make that i'm gonna what, what's the zuchus of amishol okay what's their special power that when they go into the exiles to do their work of influencing that they're gonna make it through you know that they're not gonna get totally subsumed by the nations they live in and totally assimilate and lose themselves how do i know how do i know they're not gonna that they're gonna come back and 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 uh, obviously succeed in the end and inherit this land so he throwed him, showed him the following. Three, three, first of all, three exiles, but now we're going deeper. Three types of oxen, okay? Three types of goats, three types of rams, three types, why? Now, three types of oxen, these are three types of carbonus. Your kipper, parium kipper, the, par, the, the, the type of ox you bring when you have to bring a... Um, Carbon chatas on the various mitzvahs and the egla rufa. So he's going into basically these three animals, each of them, there were three versions of them bringing that you brought in the base of Mekdash as a carbon. Basically, it's telling you that Avram's getting a vision of all the different types of animals you bring as carbon chatas. In other words, Avram asked, Okay, you're sending me, you're telling me that we're going to inherit this land. All right. And you're telling me that we're going to turn Canaan into Eretz Yishol. Okay. Now, how's, how's that going to happen? And Hashem says, it's going to happen a very interesting way that you probably didn't expect, which is you're going to be exiled from the land. You're going to go through all the nations who all operate like Canaan. Okay. You're going to influence them. And then through that process, you are going to turn the entire world of Canaan into Yisrael. And then Avram says, but what's the guarantee? We won't be lost among the nations. What's the plan for that? And then Hashem says, oh, the plan is that you're going to have all sorts of different ways to get kapara in the time of the base of Mikdash. There'll be all these different animals and you'll use them in different circumstances, meaning there's always a kapara for everything. There's always a way to get kapara. So if you lose yourself along the way, don't worry. It's part of the dangers of the journey. I, it's already built in. I already know about it. I already gave you a whole bunch of ways to get Kapara to, to, to kind of like grab yourself back so you maintain your mission. Now, here's the difference. All of the animals, okay, um, all of the animals are, are in the Brisbane of Sarm are, are cut in half, all right, so that a fire can go through them. The only difference is he showed him the bird and the bird he did not. He didn't cut the bird in half. Look what it says. Hashem showed him that it's the way you offer an oath, the whole process of bringing a carbon of a bird. Uh, the whole, okay, sorry, let me go back. The whole process of bringing a bird has its unique laws. Number one, here's what we're saying. When you bring a bird for an ola, you're mavdil. What that means is you separate. What that means is you separate the head from the body. Like the animals, you cut the heads off when you're going to sacrifice it. When you're bringing an ola, a fully burned sacrifice, you cut off the head of the bird. But when you're bringing a chatas, you don't cut off the head of the bird. You let you you slice it, but you don't cut it off. Now, let's go back. Avram's getting a vision, all sorts of forms of kapara, and each one again is a whole class. But then he said, "And the bird, don't cut that one in half." What's the message? Clearly, these are all kaparas. They're all for, for chatas. They're all for sins. 
the bird do not cut in half, okay? And um, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that they were all, um, I should just let me clarify here for a second that, we're, that the other animals, okay? Um, I just wanna clarify one thing, uh, one second. That these animals, okay, one second. Um, no, so some of these animals, I'm sorry, no. Regarding the bird, I'm sorry, regarding the bird, we're talking specifically about a chatas, and therefore we're going to learn that he doesn't cut off the head, what that means. Regarding the other animals, they're used for not just chatas, they're also used for olas, fully burnt offerings. Okay. What does it mean that the bird is a chatas and the bird is an ola? All right. So this is telling us. This is a Pasuk, I think, in Devarim, in Vayikra. There's a Pasuk in Vayikra. I didn't write down which one. The Pasuk in Vayikra says, Behavi, where we're talking about a bird, Behavi osam elakohen, you bring the bird to the Kohen, Behikriv es asher lachatas rishona, umalak es roshumimol, vikrafo lo yavdil. So you are going to, okay, pinch its head at the nape, but without, without, without severing it. Okay, the Gemara says, it is stated here with regards to a bird, burnt offering in Ola and pinch off its head, which means you separate the head from the body. And it is stated here with regards to a bird, sin offering, a chatos, and pinch off its head opposite its nape, but shall not separate it. What does Rav Hirsch say? Let's go. This is a, again, a mushal. Avram's being given a mushal. Uh, and the muscle is the distinction between a bird as an ola and a bird as a chatas. And when it's a chatas, you don't pinch off its head, you keep it attached. So look what Rav Hirsch says, okay? Rav Hirsch in Vayikra, sorry, this is the Pasuk, Pesukim, uh, chapter one, Pesukim, uh, 15, 16, 17, okay? So Rav Hirsch says the following. Birds are a muscle, unlike the rest of the animals, okay? for a person who is like a trapped bird. It is the muscle for a person who is enduring suffering and illness. And he brings a bunch of examples. He says the following, in Tanakh, a bird is often used as a metaphor for a person who is defenseless, okay? Easily trapped by stronger forces. A bird is trying to flee before its pursuer. This is a person whose life is in peril, who is in dire straits. Okay. Mishle, he brings a pasuk in Mishle. Ketzipor lanod, ketzipor nodedes min hakinaf, ka'of noded. All sorts of examples of birds that are in flight, wandering, scared, flying away from danger. Okay. Getting out of the thick of trouble birds where net, nets are, are, are spread to trap them. The unfortunate person, Ketzipur Bodeid Al-Hagag, that's Tehillim 102, like a poor bird alone on the roof, okay? Think about Dov and Batsheva. However, the dove in particular moans of suffering, Ege Kiona, I moan like a dove. Hence it would appear, Rehearse says, that a bird offering represents a state of suffering uh, or a forlorn individual who is in a state of suffering. Proof of this is in the fact that in the carbon, birds of carbon oliviorid birds constitute the offering of the poor. I'm reading from Rav Hirsch now in Vayikra. 
and that other words, otherwise we find an obligation to offer birds only in cases of bodily suffering and illness, okay? Now the other animals are shechted. This one is kind of like the, they use their fingernail to kind of slice it and flick it off, which he, Rav Hirsch says even that represents a less elevated form of even killing the animal or more, you might say aggressive or violent or form of killing it and more destructive, so to speak. It's not clean with a you know, perfect knife, all right? And he says that the procedures that are formed, that are performed when you offer a bird as an ola, okay? As a totally burnt offering, not as a chatas, not because of sin, okay? As a, the procedures are all themselves, even the procedures of how you bring the carbon ola of a bird, which represents a suffering person, is the have metaphors, the procedures mean something. And basically the procedures are trying to reflect a life of the suffering and the defenseless in the name of God. They are offering, it is an Ola, it is totally burnt Hashem. It's saying that even a life like in Auschwitz ends in a gas chamber, totally defenseless, a bird in a trap, suffering, really difficult, hard. That goes up to Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's a form of life. Some people are destined to live that life, have been destined to live that life. It's pure, but it's, it's the life of somebody when they are forced into a situation that they cannot escape, okay? Now, um, my grandfather then, okay, goes further. He says, we're not talking about an Ola here. We're talking about a Chatos here. With the Ola, you do sever the head from the body, which indicates that very important idea that when a person is forced into a life of suffering against their will, all right, what that means is even if they don't understand it, even if they don't understand it, that suffering is therapeutic, it's healing, it's cleansing. It doesn't matter if they understand what's happening to them or not. They don't understand the Holocaust, yet playing the role of a Jew who's being trapped, persecuted, and even destroyed. Okay, playing that role, living that life, so that in the end of it all, we can all turn around and prove to the world, you could try to destroy us, you could even destroy 6 million of us, but you're not gonna succeed. And every single person who was one of those 6 million against their will, okay, they played a role and they didn't have to understand it. The head does not have to be connected to what's happening, all right? The Ola, you separate the head from the body. This is when a person knows they're going through terrible Yisurim and they know it's because they're Jewish. It's called Yisurim Shalava. This suffering elevates a person regardless of their awareness of it, period. Okay. However, and look at, and look at, look at Pirkei He's talking all about um, life and he's saying all sorts of stuff. And he says, a net is spread out over all the living. The store is open, the storekeeper allows credit, but the ledger is open and the hand writes and whoever wishes to borrow may come and borrow, but the collectors go around regularly every day and exact dues from man. In other words, you have to, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, lets you live, but there's also expectations, okay, either with his consent or without his consent. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to elevate people to get them to realize with their consent or without their consent, and they have that on which they can rely in their claims, seeing that the judgment is righteous. But the main point here is that Hashem sometimes brings you surim 
puts a person in the position of a defenseless bird. That's the muscle of the bird. Okay, remember with David, he saw a bird flying and he tried to hit it with an arrow. Remember that? A defenseless bird. And that experience, whether they know it or not, is definitely going to elevate them because at some point they're going to give up hope in survivor mode. They're going to say there's nothing else. There's nowhere to turn to my life. I can't rely on anything. Somehow, some way they will develop some greater awareness, some greater clarity, whether they wanted to or not, or intentionally tried to or not, it's going to happen. It's going to cleanse them. It's going to elevate them. However, when a person sins, when a person loses themselves in survival mode and all their bad habits and all their bad behaviors, okay, then when a Kaddish Baruch Hu brings suffering upon that person, it's in order for them to stop in their tracks and say, what am I doing wrong? So the Ola is like the person who ends up in Auschwitz. The suffering of a person who, like, you know, we talk about a person is in survivor mode and therefore they're doing all sorts of self-destructive stuff and therefore they're suffering, they're getting sick, they're becoming an alcoholic, they're suffering. That sort of suffering, because as we said, there's a system here and if we tamper with it, it will malfunction. And that sort of suffering is supposed to teach us. When the system malfunctions, that's how we learn. Suffering is built in so that we find a new path. Okay, Yeshayahu says, and he says here, this is a, the beginning of Yeshayahu Perak 6, dull the people's minds, stop up its ears, seal its eyes, why Hashem is saying, yeah, don't let them, don't let them use their minds. Don't let them hear any musr. Don't let them, uh, don't let them listen to musr. Well, I mean, this is, this is obviously not, you know, rhetorical. Let's they see with their eyes. Let's they hear with their ears. And then they'll understand Vashav and then they'll do tshuva and get healed. Don't let them see or hear because if they can see or hear, they'll get it and they'll do tshuva. Meaning as long as a person can think, they'll get it and they'll do tshuva. They'll figure it out and they'll do chupa. Okay. So you're saying that a person, when they start suffering, if they can think about it, look at it, understand it, they're going to do chupa. When a person is suffering because they've made bad choices in their life, because they ended up in survivor mode, they need, the head has to be attached to the body. In other words, they need to think about what's happening to them. They need to connect to their mistaken path and understand it and understand why it's causing them to suffer and then find a new path. They need to have the head attached to the body because this is a chatas. This is saying that the point of the, the muscle of taking a bird, which represents a helpless, defenseless person who found themselves in a trap, which often we find ourselves in traps where we allow ourselves to end up in traps. We don't realize that that's what we're doing to ourselves. You bring a carbon and you cut that, you slice it, but you leave the head on to show, I get it. I get it. Yes, I get it. Chatasi. Chait means lahachthia. I was missing the mark. My focus was off. I didn't understand my priorities. I didn't know who I was. So I missed the target. I was like aiming there when I should have been aiming there. I get it. I figured it out. That's the whole muscle of bringing a bird as a carbon chatas when a person is suffering in a situation that is trapping them and basically like stopping them from living fully. Okay. Look in Megillah 17b. Why again in tefillah, right? When you get to Shmon Esrei, why is the blessing of tshuva after the blessing of understanding? Tshuva is after chachma, bina, and das, as is written. Because when you understand, you're going to do tshuva. When your mind works and you understand, you're going to do tshuva. That's the concept of the bird. You have to think about why you're in the suffering when you're bringing a chatas, because a chatas again is, oh, gosh, I really was off base. I had a totally wrong priorities. Okay. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us in Devarim, 
that in the end, just like Avram's question, we're going to go to Gullis. What if we get lost in Gullis? What if we become like that bird? What if we get so trapped in the ideology? All right, how do we escape it? And the answer is, the answer is you have a lot of ways to do various kaparas on different things. But if you get so trapped, if you become the bird, not the ox or the ram or the, or the goat, but if you become the bird, if that's your situation, as long as you think about it, you'll be able to reroute yourself. And in the end, Hashem promises that this will happen. And in Devarim, it says, When all these things have transpired, everything Avram seeing, all the exiles, okay, all the bracha and the klala, all the proper functioning when you're in the sink, all the malfunctioning when you're at a sink, all of this that I've told you about. And look what it says, you shall return to your heart. What's heart again? Heart doesn't mean passions. Heart in Judaism is your understanding, your understanding, and also your passions when they're when Ish and Isha are one. You will return to your own unity of heart and mind. You'll have seen it all unfold. You'll learn on the job. You'll figure it out. You're going to come back to who you actually are. All right? When you, and you know where this is going to happen? Among all the nations that I have banished you. It's going to happen because you're amidst the nations. Not only will you influence them, but you'll also learn from the whole process what's the only MS. And you will return, exactly what Hashem is telling Avram now. We reiterate in the end of Devarim. Of course you'll return. You return to Hashem, you'll listen to all the true ideas that I'm teaching you, committing today, and your whole heart and soul. It's all going to come full circle. Okay? Does this make sense, everybody? All right. Um, and I just want to add one thing here before the takeaway. I sort of put it on the bottom. I'm not sure why. Um, and what happens then, a fire comes down between the parts. A fire, right? And Rambam explains what that is. Rambam and, and Morris says, what is this fire that comes down? Let me just read it to you inside the Pesukim. Hold on. Um, Okay, and he tells them the whole of the whole Navua about that they will return and all of that stuff. And then Pasuk 17 says, Vahi Hashemeshba, the sun was um, the sun was um, setting. This happened during the day that has all sorts of meanings. There was a like furnace of smoke and a pillar of fire that passed between these parts, and Hashem made a bris. And the bris was, I've given you this entire land. And he gives Avram the enormous extended boundaries, Kani, Knizi, and Kaimoni, all the way from Egypt, meaning, of course, it doesn't just mean physical, does not just mean physical, it means all the components of humanity, all the different drives of humanity, all the different parts of our, of, of the ideologies and, and driving forces, everything. Okay, but what is this pillar of smoke, this pillar of fire and this furnace of smoke? Figuratively, it denoted the appearance of the Shekhinah. 
which the prophet perceives in their prophetic vision as it is said, and he quotes our Pasuk, and behold a smoking furnace and a burning uh, lamp that passed between the pieces. This took place in a prophetic vision, as the, as the Pasuk says, and a deep sleep fell upon Avram. He's going to, but he's saying this is the concept of the Shechina that is, that is going to kind of, um, you know, always be the, the, the um, present among us, even in our ups and our downs and our exiles, it's going to burn, so to speak, through the center of us. It's gonna be what's gonna keep us together. Every word of this Nevoa obviously could be so much, but just the takeaway, the main idea here is we're learning about not just what happened to Avraham, we're not learning that. We're understanding Judaism, how Judaism works. What are gonna, what's built into Judaism? What's the guarantees? What's the process? What's the end? What's, what is, what can we count on? These are like all fundamental qualities of Judaism and it comes down to a few things, okay? Um, a person is on the journey to turn Canaan into Eretz Yisrael, right? To turn this, what we said, maybe even childish, you know, knee-driven, narcissistic, I don't, you know, I, uh, you know, survival mode into really truly Eretz Yisrael, creator, right? Really channeling Hashem. Along the way, we are promised that everybody, every single person on that path, Amishol, those who join Amishol, have some star, so to speak, that hasn't been detected yet. You know, you could name stars, you know, that whole Mishigas, you could name a star. Okay, that was, that's a great business. But everyone has some sort of shefa from the great reservoir called Knesset Yisrael that hasn't been drawn into the world yet. So nobody saw it yet. It hasn't been detected yet. And every single day, there's those moments of drawing Shefa are happening. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of those sort of moments everywhere, every person. That's what Amishol is. Never, no, never underrate Amishol. Never underrate a person who is, has the ability to do this. And Avram commits to thinking this way. And he does an act of virtue and righteousness to his mind. To think like this is doing the right thing for your mind. You're not forced to think like this. Avram wasn't forced. He committed himself to think like this. And that was the greatest act of righteousness and kindness he could do to his mind because it changes the way you see everybody. And then he was told, and then he was told, yes, everyone will have influence, but it's going to be a very interesting path. It's not, it's going to be a path that takes everybody to the four corners of the earth, to the moon, everywhere. And in those travels, encountering endless amounts of circumstances, both better and worse or bitter and sweet, they will be changing with their identity, with our identity will change slowly the way the world operates and the way the world thinks. And it will be, it will happen. But along the way, it's a very precarious journey. Yes. And a lot of people will be sucked into some degree to the influences around them, but that's okay because I've built in a system. It's called Kapara. Today, we don't have animals. We just have Chuba. And then Hashem says to Avraham, there'll be three major exiles, but what I want to focus on is also the individual, the bird, in the course of these exiles. And they're different, the different nature of each exile. What about the person? What about the person in any of these exiles that gets swallowed up, trapped in the, in the, in the, in the chaos or the evil of these other cultures, either in their ideologies, in the more rays, or literally in literal cages, 
by their evil, by the different cultures that we find ourselves in. What happens to a person who gets, you know, can't escape it? There was no Eretz to run to yet, you know, back in the day. There was for thousands of years. We couldn't escape. We were forced to be, to have to submit to the, not just cultural ideologies, but their literal physical um, policies, horrible, evil policies of these countries. What do you do? And Hashem says, first of all, again, the suffering, I'm sorry for the phone, the Yisurim Shalava, they're in Ola. You don't even have to know what they're for. They're part of the journey of Amishol. If you're in it, you're playing a role. You are playing a role, whether you know it or not. But if you get caught up and you need to reroute yourself, okay, recalibrate, you have to use your mind. And you have to, and if your mind is intact and you could just think your basic thoughts, you're going to get there. That's what we learned in, in the sources we had. If you can think, you could get there. If your eyes can see and your ears can hear, you're going to reroute yourself, recalibrate, put yourself back on the right track. And then Hashem promises the Shekhinah will be with you the entire time. And you will all be able to collectively as Knesset Yisrael come back, recapture that perfect state of being after having fought for it so hard for so long. And you will be back in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, you'll return, you will inherit the land. You will have succeeded in turning Canaan into Eretz Yisrael. And do you notice how Eretz Yisrael is always referred to as Canaan? Oh, hold on. Always referred to as Canaan. Because the Torah is... The Torah is telling us about the journey of turning Canaan into, into, into Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so yes, so there. All right, everybody. I wish you a beautiful Shabbos. Tons to think about. You can do all your own research. There's so much. If you have a Hirsch, it's unbelievable. Of course, explains so many things and. It's just, it's hard to, you know, for me, it was like, there's so much to talk about. There's so much, it's so loaded. You could be, live a thousand years and not get through it. And, um, but I think this is a very important message. You know, it's like zooming in from the big picture of the big exiles to the individual situation of every person and, and validating that and um, dignifying that and giving hope to every person. And, and the main thing I would say is the takeaway is Avraham's point of view. He committed to a mindset that Amishol is like the stars. And that is very, keep that in mind. He committed to a mindset that Amishol is like the stars. That was the greatest kindness he could do for his perspective, for his, for his, for his whole outlook on life and on his mission and on Amishol. All right, everybody, I wish you a beautiful Shabbos. Take care, everyone. I'll see you on the Q&A.